My name is Khadija Ibrahim. I am a poet, playwright and live artist. I'd like to refer to myself as a multi-interdisciplinary artist that experiments with various art forms in relation to writing and performance and live art. And my most recent research explores the aspect of the living and the dead and the middle realm through transformation, with special reference to African and Jamaican culture, but also um, African Jamaican culture within the landscape of British culture and how that melds together. My name is Nicole. My artist name is Nick Knack. I'm a turntablist, a DJ, and a sound artist based in Leeds. I have been listening to um, the work that you did. I'm fascinated with the layers of um, sounds and modes that you use. But um, I think my excitement within the work that you've done is, is um, it could be for selfish reasons. <laughs> um, it could be for selfish reasons. And I'm not sure if that's a, a bad thing. But I say the selfish reasons as in it's been a great opportunity to let go of some of that research mm. and put it in the hands of someone who I feel I could trust to work some magic with that and to really come up with some ideas which has really stimulated my thoughts and um, I'm so happy that the direction came from yourself that you was inspired by the the research and the, the recordings that I sent to you. I've been wanting to work with you for a while so this was a really great opportunity to do so and listening to not only you talk about your research and the kind of experiences you had in, in Jamaica whilst doing it, but also just listening to the material and feeling a sense of home while I was listening to yeah. it. It's been 14 years since I was last there and kind of immersed in the culture, even though it was mostly like I'm with my family sort of thing. So a lot of the sounds came back, like memories that I'd not really thought about in a long time came back while listening to your material even before I started working with it and there is a connection here like we're both learning more about aspects of our culture that isn't really talked about or really explored I guess in a lot of different ways there's a connection with the location of Jamaica as well like we, we both have have um, relations there and I guess with current times as well it's just that need of just knowing where where we're from and a, a deeper sense of that that's 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 beautiful and um you know thank you very much um the the thing that connects us as artists apart from being artists and um being female and living in leeds and knowing the environment of of britain and its landscape just going back to um thinking about that jamaican culture and and, and what that means to us there's a generation between us, <laughs> interesting enough, which I think is absolutely mm. beautiful because that generation between us means that 
there's a slight advantage of us both being born in Britain to Jamaican parentage. Mm-hmm. I had my grandparents here. Mm. So both my grandparents arrived in the 50s. My grandfather arrived in 1958 and my grandmother in 1959. And my mother arrived in 1962. And so what I have is this generation of elders that were able to give to me the narratives, but also give to me a sense of Jamaica in a British landscape. They were all connected to the island because they were born there, but they were all connected to this Jamaican landscape that was part of colonialism, colonisation. They arrived in Britain before Jamaica got its independence. And so they know Jamaica in different ways, pre-independence and post-independence. And so that's really important to the material. And um, the reason why I mentioned the generation between us is because in that household was a Jamaican household that I grew up in, because it couldn't be anything else other than that, you know, amongst my grandparents, because that's what they, it's what they came with. They came with the richness of Jamaican culture, of nation language and traditions. And those are the things that um, were the retention within the household that transpired Mm. through my upbringing. And so even though as a child I'd never been to Jamaica, I actually had to reach adulthood before I landed (laughs) on such a beautiful island, which was back in 2000. But it doesn't mean you don't know anything of the culture because you haven't been there previously. It just means that it becomes alive and it vibrates through your DNA in a different way once you land, once you place your feet on that earth, on that landscape. Learning about aspects of of my culture and history that I haven't necessarily been exposed to is is really important to me like I'm doing what I can to broaden my own horizons um, personally so the opportunity to listen through your work and really take in what people were saying yeah it was just a lot of fun and really nice to kind of journey home in a in a roundabout way yeah <laughs> like there was one conversation in particular with the gentleman when he was talking about watching Ali Selassie come off the plane when uh, he visited Jamaica and that yeah. particular story and how it was like raining and then he then he sang um, a beautiful song as well that really hit home Mystic Revolution or so you was there I when, was there when Selassie landed. Landed here and the lightning dropped in the middle of the road. And what year was that? 1966. 1966, a year before I was born. I, I was there, lightning dropped in the road. And what was it like? We, we were singing, I want to see King Rastafari to look up on his face with a street of lightning shining around his face. Tell all the Gentiles time to come. To look up on his face, we are going home, going home to see 
Street of lightning, the lightning come out of the sky. Yeah. Just as the plane landing up. Mm. And the rain start falling, everybody wet up. And by the time his mother reach out where we there, when he took off of the plane and come out, mm -hmm. every man out there so dry. After lightning drop yes, and rain man, drop and ground. Everybody dry. The sun come out right. I might have like a, a, a flock of bird come before. When the plane is arriving, a flock of bird leave the plane. Mm -hmm. And in Ethiopia, the man is a flock of bird around the palace. Yeah. And you know, land, and when the plane land and the lightning drop, thousands of all Jamaica locked down that day. I've been surrounded by Rastas while I was growing up. The culture was, was, in, our, was in our house. And while I didn't like fully understand it, I could see that there was a great love for Jamaica anyway, but a heightened love for Selassie. So that connection was always there from growing up, but not to the extent of, of your experiences and memories. Yeah, so that that's quite interesting because I grew up with a sense of Rastafari in my childhood. In the 70s, while... Black America was talking about um, Black Power and the Black Panther movement, which also inspired movements here in the UK. But central to the Black Power movement, if you like, was Rastafari. And Rastafari was more about knowing that, not only that Black is beautiful, but actually understanding that we, as a people, have a king, have an emperor, and he... He resides in Ethiopia. Now, that is the narrative that was given to me as a child. The important thing about that visit, where the man refers to His Majesty ascending um, in 1966, it was April the 21st, 1966, where a hundred, over a hundred thousand Rastafari's descended upon the airport in Kingston. Yeah. And the Ethiopian philosophy was about resistance, it was about retention, it was about owning something. And so when we think about the history of Ethiopia, and when we think about the history of the African continent, and we think about colonization and that scramble for Africa, Ethiopia was the only African country that was never colonized. It was um, occupied by Mussolini, the Italians, but it was never colonized. And so there was always a resistance. And so through mm -hmm. the teachings of Marcus Garvey and his Back to Africa philosophy, he led the belief that there was a king that reigns, that is a monarch that we can look to. So he told us to look to the east and there you will find your king. And that king was Selassie and he came under the title of Conquering Lion of the Tribe of Judah. For is the kings of kings, the lords of lords, the conquering lion of Judah. He was 
there to fulfill, if you like, a philosophy of oneness within the people. And so we hear a lot of that teaching and philosophy through the work of someone like Bob Marley and um, Peter Tosh and a whole range of reggae artists. So reggae music is about resistance, it's about hard times, it's about the African retention in Jamaican culture. I don't have to tell you much about the music because you, you know about the reggae music, but there's something interesting about the early part of the reggae music and its connection and richness to Africa. And I think that's, that's really important when we're thinking about reggae music and Jamaican culture, about how we as a people are able to retain identity. Mm -hmm. Because colonialism, the enslavement of African bodies, the, the transporting of bodies across the Atlantic Ocean, the atrocity of that meant that so much was lost in, in that passage. But I don't like to use the word loss as in it disappeared because we, um, as, as a people, as human beings, we retain information in our DNA and it can manifest at any given point through memory. Mem the, the, like we know that the body holds memory regards to where you're coming from in the world. And that memory could be uh, good memories, negative memories, could be trauma, yeah. could be any aspects of that. So reggae music is about retaining memory that manifests itself mm. in the invocation of spirituality, of Rastafari. And so the teachings of Marcus Garvey, who was a Jamaican philosopher, who actually, um, he's... His teaching was back to Africa, Africa for Africans. And so some people might think in modern day terms, that's about segregation. But actually what Marcus Garvey was talking about was the reaction to the transportation of black bodies, the enslavement of black bodies and the black bodies becoming commodity for sale. That's what he was talking about. And that black bodies should have the right to return to its homeland. tell When I remember those chains and those shackles, how they bounded our hands to our ankles, it makes me mad, mad, mad. And actually, when we fast forward to today, or we fast forward even into the 70s, or as the man talks about in 1966, the, the, the arrival of Selassie, we get the drums, the drum talking. The drum is, is central to the philosophy of, of reggae music. It is, it is the heartbeat of um, African music. It is the heartbeat that in modern terms becomes the bass. And you would know as a turntablist and a DJ, the importance of the bass in the music. Mm. But that bass is modern day drum and heartbeat that keeps account and it keeps things alive and going. And so yeah. when we think about the drum being banned during the enslavement of African people in the, in the Caribbeans, in, in the West Indies or the Americas, we think about the removal of faith and religion and spirituality mm. and the removal of names. What reggae music and pre-reggae music, you know, what folk music does is that it, it maintains the orality of the culture. 
it maintains it, it, it helps us to remember. So we know that within his discussion, he's talking about songs. Mm. Never get weary yet, that we're never tired. Never get weary yet. And I'm down in the valley for a very long time. We never get weary yet. And that Rastafari is at the center. Mm. Ras meaning the head, Farai coming from Tafari, which is Selassie's other name. So that's where the terminology Rastafari comes from. Conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, kings of kings. And he was recognized throughout the world as holding this position as emperor of Ethiopia. So when Marcus Garvey mm. says, look to the east, there you will find your king. Because around the world, there is no black king to be seen anywhere. You know, that there's a, there are black kings and emperors to be seen, but not recognised through the eyes of colonialism. And so that's what the retention is. So when Selassie lands in Jamaica, that's why you have hundreds and thousands of Rastafaris mm. coming in praise. Some saying he's Christ reborn in flesh to bring the teachings and the philosophy to the people through righteousness, through spirituality. And so that retention becomes important within reggae music. I'm not an expert on reggae music, but I can tell you that that heartbeat and that drum and that bass becomes a central point of clarity. And in that clarity, what we get is a sense of metaphors that are used that we know that the worldview is not linear. And that takes us to Marvin George's discussion. Marvin George comes originally from Trinidad and he's actually living in Jamaica. He's someone that I've known for a very long time. He's a well-known researcher around Trinidadian culture, especially through carnival and and masquerade and performance. But also he has a great interest within Caribbean culture as a whole, as performance, and how performance becomes an um, integral part of life about transformation and possession and the African modes found in not just Jamaican culture but Caribbean culture. You're walking to Akumina. Uh, Kumina um, occupies the circle, the continuum, right? Immediately, that's what it yeah. Um, as you walk in, um, the drummers are the drummers are usually at the center. Um, as you walk in, um, the drummers are the drummers are usually at the center. The chanteur and the whoever else is is closest to the to the to the right is is occupying the, that immediate circle with the drummers or directly around the drummers, and then the wider community. It's, it's fizzling out, but it's but it's but it's all in, in, in this idea of a of a circle. Um, I, I I found it exciting because that is that is not a uniquely Kumina thing. If you That's go to right. a revival meeting, a revival table does the same thing. That's right. Yeah, your, your Risha Yard does the same. Thing. The same thing. So yeah. Back, right. Right. And 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 that, and that circle now, we might look at it as a simple thing. It is a circle. Oh, it's a circle. Okay, mm. fine. But. But the circle is also, in very many ways, metaphor and metaphor and metaphysics for 
for for the worldview. Yeah. The worldview the worldview is not linear. So the drummers would be in a circle, everybody would be singing. I did get a sense of yeah, of course it would be in a circle. As as a sound artist and as a DJ, I do tend to use delays and reverbs a lot anyway and even when I make my own music that's kind of like I really like the spaciness of that or yeah. having a certain element ring out and I think when um, when I first sent you the pieces and you said how the I did the wheel up on <laughs> yeah on on something <laughs> yeah yeah I don't even know if you <laughs> even realized at the time that you've done that no, I didn't. It was I. I really when when you spotted that, I knew exactly what point you were talking about, and I was like, "Oh yeah," and and that's the thing. Like it's a subconscious thing. So I feel like in that one example, my connection with dub and the use of like delays and everything else, in that aspect of my of my culture and heritage, that subconsciously came through. And I feel like that particular point where I did just wheel it up and rewind it, and you know, play with the delays in that kind of a way that wasn't planned like I don't really plan that kind of stuff anyway that's very just improvised and in the moment so you know when you when you spotted that and was like yo you did this I was like oh yeah I did it's just I didn't clock I didn't and I like that I didn't clock because that that made it that makes it more organic I like that it just came it just it was just there in that moment yeah and I feel that's really important The worldview is that you're born, you grow up, you're right, you get old, you you transition and yeah. you can come back. And you come back again. And you can come back so again. So it's that it's that That's rebirth, right. isn't it? It's that thing about That's right. life That's is right. continuous and it's rebirth. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always, always, always. And 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 and, and circle as continuity is also part and parcel of um, of how and why possession becomes so important. Possession becomes so important. Possession becomes so important. The worldview is not linear. The worldview is that you're born, you grow up, you're Right, That's really work, interesting. Uh, right, the the we wheel it back up, pull up and come back again, lift mm. it up, wheel and come again. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that language of reggae music, that language of dub, that comes out of the bass, that comes out of the drum, that is the heartbeat. The re- rewind and come again, my selector. You know, so you know as a DJ, as a turntablist, that you may be requested to pull it up come back yeah. again and that language yeah. is also about the way in which we know that the world is not straight it's it comes full circle so therefore the rewind is full circle rewind and come again that is what our life is about life and death in some philosophies you live and you die but in the african philosophy of life and death and not solely just within the African philosophy of life and death because I know other faiths and other countries look at reincarnation in different ways but when we think about rewind and come again Mm. it means also that we look at the body and its transformation 
and, it, and, and the way it transitions. So there is the body, there is the spirit and there's the soul. And there are these, these three aspects that we're looking at through life and death, rebirth and coming back again, the return of the body. I man come again, Randa tell your friend, the Nazi dreadlocks come again, like the nuclear weapon, it got to be double strong, when you is really born out of those who um, came to the UK um, through the Windrush generation but it became more popular with their children so mm. that first generation born in England are those um, who were still born in Jamaica like you can think about Tubby's sound system you can think about Coxon is a really great example so Coxon sounds mm. and within that dancehall sound system arena at the helm of that were several people so you had the selector in present day terminology the dj that's a bit like you nick yeah <laughs> so yeah. That, that's you you would be in that sound system culture you would be referred to as the selector but you could be also the operator mm. so the selector is the person who makes the selection of the choice of the music and that person has to um, really have a clear understanding about what's out there in terms of popular music within reggae music and that culture and what's popping you know what the people are listening to but also mm. their their the importance of their role is also to find those white labels labels that are not stamped with the artist's name on it's a sample and so the selector would select the music. The selector could have two roles. He could also be he or she, but mainly at that time, it was very a male-dominated culture. Yeah. Within the sound system arena. So the selector could also be the operator. Mm. The operator is the person who, same like what a DJ does, they control the system. It's a little bit like what you're doing when you're talking about reverbs and things because they may create some sounds. They were not yeah. scratching at that time. And we will go into scratching and hip-hop because we'll see the direct connection. But just going back to this wheel it up and rewind or pull it up, come back again, my selector. Pull the track, run, yeah, run it, it again, pull it. run it, run it. <laughs> That's right. Pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it back. Yeah. There's so many... Um, this language is so rich within that culture. Mm. And the meaning of that is that the selector, who is now known as the DJ, um, would be requested to pull up the needle or lift up the needle mm. and pull it back to the beginning. We are talking about vinyl records and the turntable, yeah, which you can very much relate to as a turntableist. So we're not talking yeah. about CDs, you know, we're talking about the actual fact of a vinyl record being played with a needle and that little scratching sound that you get, that that you get from vinyl records, that crispy sound. Yeah, the vinyl crackle. The crackle yeah. of it. And so at mm. the beginning of the music, 
when when a bass licks in or it could be a lyrical track from Dennis Brown like Promised Land to the Promised Land do 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 big tune and the dub licks yes. in that mm. would cause a reaction from the people so within that arena mm-hmm. you have the the sound system people like Coxon or Saxon or if we're talking about Leeds, the dominant sounds at that time was Jungle Warrior, it was Maverick, Sparta, so many sounds. And that dub coming in would cause the people or the participants of the arena to order the selector, to lift it up and pull mm. it back and come back again. My selector in this. I and I does reminisce, you know? So it's a reminiscent, you know mm. what I'm saying? It's a reminiscent of the rhythm and the bass and the movement because what it does is that it, it took you back because we're talking about Black is Beautiful. We're talking about Rastafari. We're talking about, even in America, the Black Power movement claiming Black as a positive narrative in the face of racism. And you might think this uh, wheel up and rewind doesn't have anything to do with it, but it has a lot to do with it because when we unpick its its definition mm. to bring back something again and to play it, it's almost mm. um, symbolic of the African bird, Sankofa. The Sankofa bird is an African adage which symbolises to look back into the past in order to move forward, to stand on the backs of our ancestors, to understand within the African culture its richness and its deprivation. And so within Mm. the um, sound system arena, music coming from Bob Marley, Jacob Miller, Dee Brown, so many of these artists, Peter Tosh, they were talking about struggle. talking about deprivation but within the deprivation they were talking about a richness of culture that they needed the importance was to hold on to that so the language that is spoken within those arenas are about um, belonging an aspect of belonging in an environment that often is not too welcoming Hence why I mentioned the, the Windrush generation, because when we think about migration, we lose something within migration. When you leave one environment, so one country to go to another, you bring something rich with your culture, but you can also lose something. So there is a dual aspect of sound system culture, belonging to the people, ownership within the musical culture of reggae music and its and its birth. And so uh, the language becomes very important. The language of now what we call the DJ, not to be confused with the selector. So the DJ, in modern terms, is the MC. 
So when we think about modern term MC culture through grime and things like that, we would have called that person the Sinje mm. or the DJ. So the DJ has a lyrical content which is similar to the rapper. So that'd be when that then when somebody would be toasting? It's toasting. So the DJ is the toaster. And they toast over the flip side of the version, which I know you know that the instrumental. Yeah. Because back then when they were making music back in Jamaica, the early part of rock steady, reggae music, they would only pay the recording artist one time to cut a track. So the flip side of the vinyl would be just the mm. instrumental or what we would say the version. Yeah. And it is that version in which the toaster or the DJ or the MC would then lay lyrical content within the dance hall arena. So they had to be quick. They had to be wordsmiths. They're poets. Mm. But all of that is born out of the oral culture of the Caribbean storytelling, which takes us to someone like telling stories through a Nancy. And Nancy is a very charismatic spider, which really is the characteristics of a person, the good and the negative side, the devious and the honest side. And so Nancy really plays that role of telling you what's happening in the environment, politically, socially, economically. And that is what you could say the, the toaster does. Mm. They really pick up on what is happening within the environment. And so the first early part of tossing was very, it could have appeared very simple in its delivery because they were really conjuring up sounds of the music. Maybe might have been the sound of a guitar. And then they would layer it with some words. So you, the early ones are people like, uh, I guess, Prince Buster, Big Youth, Uroy. My name is Manchester, that's the high priest. And I'm coming from the east with my latest police. And in my absence, there comes your musical present. Well, you ain't got no confidence to cover certain amounts of consequences. I will tell it to you. What that is? Those kind of people, and then much later on down the line when we're in Britain and we're thinking about some of those toasters today, some of the best toasters were coming out of Saxon Sound System in London, Smiley Culture. They were really creating a lyrical sound, not just words, but sounds through using voice as an instrument, as a tool to inform, to recreate new ideas, but also to recreate old ideas. Mm -hmm. Wheel it up, rewind, pull it up, come back. My selector is all part of that arena of language within the dance hall sound system culture. Yeah, and I think it's physically stopping the record, pulling the needle up pulling back the record right at the start when you put the, the needle back on there finding it in the headphones listening to the crackle and then waiting for it to come up and and start playing again there's a, a bit of a lost art with that now yeah. because um everything is so digital it's more buttons now 
you could just press rewind on a CDJ or on a controller yeah. for a DJ and it doesn't have that same effect. That's interesting that you um, you refer to it as a physical action, which I love that you said that because the physical action of it is the theatre, mm. is the theatre of performance. And that theatre of performance shows you that within that arena, there are um, the performers yeah. and the participants. Yeah. But they're, in, they're interchangeable. A good selector, a good DJ responds to the participants. It's a conversation at the end of the day. It's a conversation. Exactly. It's a conversation. And what I've seen, you know, when I when I go out, I don't see and hear that conversation in nightclubs. Mm. I I see it in the in um, a dance hall. I'll see it in Jamaica. Mm. You know. It's really interesting because in the club, it's almost like it's lost that feel. The DJ is just there to play music. Maybe you might um, agree or disagree with yeah. that. It is a more separated experience than I personally like. When you're playing in a bar and it's background music to a point, you're there to like help enhance and provide a soundtrack to the environment. But... People might enjoy it, people might not enjoy it, but it's a bit harder to read. It takes some real skill to be able to read a crowd that where most of the people in there are just there for a drink. <laughs> and it's not necessarily like jumping, jumping. There are some people who play vinyl that will do that. Like you've got people like Iration Steppers, events like Subdub, the more kind of like sound system orientated events now where that culture is coming back and has, has been back for a while. And people will react in that same kind of a way like pull it up yo making noise hollering yeah. they'll wheel it up themselves do that same the, yeah physical action that is something that you don't see that often and i think that's something really special yeah I, and I, I totally appreciate what you're saying and, and i guess that's when we're talking about organized spaces and its purpose in regards to music so that just takes me back to thinking about those organised spaces and the way in which we deliver music for entertainment, for pleasure, but also for therapy in a way. So when I think about when sound system was at its highest, very, very popular in the 80s, every week you could go to a dance, you know, whether it was in Leeds, Manchester, London, Birmingham, every week it, it was um, there was something happening with a sound system. And so part of that culture, which has always fascinated me as I got older and I started to review the language of sound system culture, its importance and its preservation, was to break down what that culture is, what it did and what it continues to do through influencing modern day music and performances of the DJ. So that interaction is very, very important in terms of the people coming because a sound system had to make sure it had followers. That's the important thing. And a sound system is like a famous artist, like a Beyonce or, so, you know, or a Prince. It had its followers. So whether it was Saxon or Coxon or Maverick, you know, living in Leeds for us, it was Maverick, Jungle Warrior. There were so many sound systems here 
that would come to play in Leeds. And it was a, it was very competitive. It was entertaining, but the entertainment was the competitive aspect. And that's where like sound clash would come from. Like the, that the is whole, the sound clash. Yeah, you've got these two, three, four sound systems warring together. That's like, right. In one space, maybe two rooms, whatever. You're going because you want to see these two, three, four sound systems battle it it's out a battle. in a jovial yeah. way with music, with bass. Like who who can get the most pull-ups, who can get the crowd most excited, yeah. who's on it with that. There's a respect as well mm. with the Sound Clash participants as well, because it's like, look, man, we're all doing this for the same reasons, but let's have a little bit of fun. And just, like, it's just, yeah. in the same way that you have like MCs, like having rap battles and ciphers and stuff like that. It's it's the same kind of a thing, um, just with sound it's, systems. It's, yeah, it's definitely the same in fact, they're born out of each other. The MC culture is born out of the sound system culture. Yeah. Um, one one couldn't survive without the other. Yeah, absolutely. And it is who can get the most pull-ups, but actually what it is mm. is who's got the best rhythm tracks, who's got the best version, who's got the best DJs. Back then, that's what it was. So the clash was about the power of the bass, the mightiness of the bass. That was central. And then to that, who had the best toasters so who could hold the space for the audience to mm. respond and those responses were yes it was a pull up and a rewind there was definitely that but there were also the way in which the, the participants were dancing and interacting it was a war a war with music and talent and so that's why a lot of these sound systems have names such as jungle warrior Saxon sound system, Sparta International. They were either international or outer national, and everything was a play on words. Coxon. So it was about being mighty and powerful. But when we unravel the meaning of all of that, that was about belonging, that was about identity, that was about ownership of something, belonging to a people living in an environment that wasn't always welcoming because we are talking you know 70s 80s sound system goes way way back so i'm talking about my personal experience in the 70s in my mother's house in the basement when they were holding blues parties and dances and people would come and party the dj would play and people would just come and surround themselves in a house in a basement because at that time, going to nightclubs mm. was very, very difficult for that first generation coming from the Caribbean. Mixing and integration was really, really difficult. And so the ownership of music, they're coming from a place at that time, which was a radio culture. And I use the word radio culture because... TV wasn't a dominant thing. Most people didn't own a TV in Jamaica in the time that my mother was growing up. My mother was born in the 1940s, so that was like, no way. And some people didn't even own a radio. So maybe the neighbour had one or someone that was a little bit more well-off or affluent may have had a radio. So they were listening to music coming from America, rock and roll, that kind of music, Fats Domino, mm. these kind of people. But they were also creating their own music. When I talk about creating their own music, I'm thinking about church, those environments where worship and song was at 
the centre of the culture of the people. But also that crossover and influence with the different islands. So Trinidad being a major influence in Calypso music and that crossing over into Jamaican culture and how that became an important aspect within Mm. the culture of music, pan music, now modern day soca music, rock steady music, the interchangeable sounds inspired by worship and faith and drums because drums were banned in the time of the enslavement of African people. And it's an important aspect of when we're thinking about music to think about that, that drum being the heartbeat. And so within the, um, within the faith and culture of some Jamaican churches or practices, the drum might be central, like within the revival church the drummers will be there the surrounding of that you find that not just in jamaican culture but you will find that in cuban culture in 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 santeria Mm. in orisha culture within trinidad uh, in bahia in brazil the drum is the heartbeat and if you think about this instrument that was confiscated they had to recreate sounds using other materials and so trinidad recreating a sound using an oil pan and tuning it with a hammer to create these lovely kind of calypso sounds which are very influential within definitely within Jamaican culture and then this radio culture of hearing music from coming from the um, from the United States all of this and the church culture makes up reggae music and all of that is formulated within the sound system culture so the fact that the the within the dance hall people will stand almost in a circular life is continuous which is what marvin george talks about it's not linear um rebirth and and coming back again and so that kind of takes us on to the way that you used the reverbs these are time-based effects so Reverb is like the sound of a room, a hall, has a certain type of resonance with it compared to a church, which is very echoey, quite large. And reverb is that characteristic which defines how different they sound. How can, I, how can you describe delay? That's <laughs> um, delays and echoes, let's say. So it's kind of a part of a sound playing again and again and again until the point where you can't hear it anymore. These can all be mimicked digitally through the use of like effects boards, both in music studios and nowadays on DJ equipment to just kind of make it sound cooler. So these are all kind of parameters that DJs, particularly nowadays, I think, are open to playing with more while doing a DJ set. So they'll kind of use a moment within a track similar to how selectors would. So it might be a particular snare hit. It might be a part of a vocal track. It could be when the bass kind of hits and you get like Mm -hmm. a booming sound. It could be many things really, but those are kind of things that I wanted to play with on this and with this material. I play with delay and reverb a lot whenever I play out anyway. I guess that's a subconscious thing where I'm like, oh yeah, 
that could go there, that could go there. You're kind of like playing, playing a little bit with the sounds as, as you're playing. And there's that interaction as well, I think, which is important. So with this, just hearing certain moments in the material, like for example, with the choir singing, and I just chose that, that among other moments as a way of emphasizing the space that they are creating with their voices and emphasizing their importance as well as wheeling wheeling it up and rewinding it and so on but um just creating a, a new space within a space right. that those singers were creating with the songs that they were singing and the lyrical content as well i think it's i think it's more just about em- emphasizing what's going on in the okay. material for me and wanting to make that clear to the listeners just how important the material is just how much it resonates with not only myself but also with you Khadija because this is your work and I just thought well this work is important how can I highlight its importance more while respecting it because that's another thing I think selectors both old school and new school DJs as well whether we realize it or not we will pick a moment to emphasize within the track but there's a reason why we've chosen that moment to add an effect to it so person that comes to mind immediately is like someone like lee scratch perry he would go crazy with the effects creating a new a new space really while using a version of a track that everyone knows I feel like with this material, and I'm realising it now, which is quite interesting, <laughs> just being able to create a new space. I feel that. I Just as you said, Lee Scratch Perry, I was like, that's it. <laughs> it's almost like this madman on um, recreating sounds yeah. and using reggae music at the heart of it to almost intergalactical, <laughs> African futuristic, ahead of his time. You know, and mm. um, inspiring so many. When I when I think about that, inspiring so many people like Mad Professor, you know, um, Jashaka to really create those sounds. When I think about some really great examples, mm. I think about what you did. There's a track called Kunta Kinti, and it just has this kind of reverb. I don't know if. That's the lamp, correct lamp. Yeah, speed, absolutely, absolutely. Reverb on it, where, and then yeah. this dub drops. Yeah, it's absolutely. just amazing that you, the way in which the people respond, and that is a Harlem pull up. Yes, come back again. <laughs> certain elements within the track so yeah. it could be the drums it could be the bass it could yeah. be the singer the guitar they're choosing moments within that track to emphasize yeah. with the effects so they might bring that back in they might take it out yeah and they're breaking the rules essentially because well, there are no rules <laughs> well no yeah that's there true no yes rules. there are like no rules but not there's no rules yeah, yeah. that's true <laughs> 
And so it's just interesting. <laughs> and I get why you would say that because in an ideal Eurocentric sound in music, that would be breaking the rules. Yeah. When we think about the women singing and the way that you even use the reverb and, that, and, you, and you bring yeah. them back and you bring them, there is almost a Harlem pull-up and rewind and coming back. <laughs> The everyday listener outside of that culture, they would say that those women were not in tune. Yeah. But we would say this is an ancient scale, a pattern of um, a Caribbean way of expression that comes out of African culture, that movement that develops faith and, and religion. And within that, there is grief. There is mourning. There is celebration. There, there is that coming back of life. That life is continuous and, and that we sing it. Mm. They may sing it in these faith songs in a scale that may not be acceptable on a big concert arena somewhere else. But actually, within those churches, they are also spaces which are arenas for performance, for song. And there's something very precious about that sound, which is um, fading out. And that's why capturing those women at that time was very important to me because I'm thinking about this work, um, Dead and Wake, which really is about beliefs and rituals and how do we retain them? How do we retain them? But also how do we begin to appreciate the African diasporic retention within these customs, within these faiths, within, within, within these practices mm. that have um, influenced so many people. How, how do we begin to gather that information and review on all these different levels to have a broader and wider appreciation for the next generation of understanding? It's important to also review it, maintain it outside of the Eurocentric gaze because I think there is so much pressure yeah. nowadays, particularly with music, to have it be aesthetically pleasing for everybody else. There are plugins, there are bits of software, there are this, the, all of these things to make sure that the singers sound as good as possible, pitch perfect, and then you can tweak it if they're out a little bit and you know do things digitally before it gets put out so it's it's as perfect as it comes there's no room for error and i think with with those singers in particular because there is so much emotion and just rawness that we don't often hear in such a unique and special way that capturing it in that moment like you say was very important and and it was a great honor to be able yeah. to emphasize it further because it's something you don't hear every day and it should be retained and respected as it is without having to like make it pitch perfect and everything else. Yeah. It's like, that's what it is. You don't have to do this with every single thing. No. Well, life is not perfect. And so mm. life is not about being pitch perfect. Although I do realise that some musicians will... Um, <laughs> we'll not agree, you know. We're not. Like, no, we have to be pitch perfect, otherwise it's not going to yeah, work. And, and the like, instrument well... has to be tuned in a particular way. 
and and that tuning also is about the hearing and the and and the mm. space and the audience and the listener and so when we when we leave that space with those parameters that can be often restrictive when we leave outside of those parameters you get something that is even more richer because what we get is an amalgamation of practices that um, become a melting pot of culture that has actually inspired and influenced world music and world culture in so many different ways. We know reggae music is one of the most influential music across the globe. You know, everybody responds to it. And within that reggae music is Jamaican culture. The motto for Jamaica is out of many people are one. So who are the many people? The many people who make up this island coming from around the world, coming from the African continent, the Indian subcontinent, the Arabian continent, the the um, Asian continent in terms of China. That's what makes up Jamaican culture. Also um, British, Irish, Scottish. That is Jamaican culture when you look at 400 years of what Jamaica has become. That is the amalgamation. So within that, you, you get all these influences of sounds which have different pitches that then births this 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 sound that we know today. But also, I think the importance of the rituals and beliefs are about retaining so we can archive and preserve and actually um, discuss for future generations. There's so many layers to being a DJ, like you just explained, you know, and and I've had the pleasure of working with you, collaborating with you, so I see some of those layers, you know, happening in your work. It was really exciting to play back your ideas and how they how they sit. It's such beautiful layers of sounds and soundscapes that excite me, that really pull on aspects of that work, that really give me a sense of of um, creativity to explore more. And I had so many ideas with this work. And it's been a pleasure that you're the first starting point to to hand over aspects of that work to experiment with. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate working with you on that. It was great. You've been listening to an Opera North podcast in partnership with Precious Sounds. To hear our complete series of Dead and Wake, visit Opera North's SoundCloud. All original reggae and dub recordings featured are available from Pressure Sounds at pressure.co.uk. Opera North's resonance residencies for black, Asian and minority ethnic artists are supported by PRS Foundation's Talent Development Partners Scheme.